Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hey everybody, I'm Matthew May from Acuity and you're listening to the Outsourced Accounting Podcast. So Matt, tell us about your business and a little bit about its history. Yeah, well, um, my partner, Kenji Kuramoto, uh, he started Acuity with uh, another uh, gentleman about 15 years ago. They started as a CFO for higher practice. Uh, They started seeing this need for fractional CFO service. And almost instantly, they kind of got into the um, virtual controller business uh, right after that and built it to about a 10-person firm. Then about seven years ago, his original partner was leaving and I had kind of gone on the public accounting journey. And uh, Kenji was joking with me one night that uh, I should come over and help him take over the world. Uh, So uh, I ended up basically buying out his business partner and and we uh, launched a a bookkeeping practice (laughs) to uh, on top of the controller and CFO practice. Uh, So back then, I guess that was uh, 2013, uh, we had about eight or 10 folks, uh, you know, and uh, spread across the three practices. And then uh, we started growing and growing and growing and taking that fractional uh, accounting to every level in the finance group of uh, small technology companies who are kind of our target market. Then uh, I guess a year and a half ago, we offered, uh, launched a tax practice. And then I think um, right now we're, we're sitting right around 85 employees, um, kind of all around the world. Uh, now that uh, uh, we've uh, we've added the folks in uh, from TOA uh, to our team, so interesting. And I know that your business is, is, I suppose, quite unique in the industry. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your team structure, both locally? Um, Eighty-five team members is is a good sized business, and I know that you've grown um, that quite quickly over the years. So, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the roles that you have um, locally, um, and also what you've um, obviously started to do with building a global team? Sure. Well, um, we think of our business in kind of three, uh, I think of it in columns because I'm a freaking accountant. But um, so we have our service lines uh, in in one group in our business. Uh, We have our sales and marketing team in one line of our business. And then in the middle, uh, uh, it's kind of like everything else. We call it our operations team. They do all of our onboarding, all of our offboarding, um, HR, billing, accounting, uh, any customer transition. Uh, upsell, downsell, uh, and uh, then checking in, like all of our quality control. Uh, in our service line team, we have four teams. So we have the tax compliance team. Uh, we have our bookkeeping team. We have our controller team and our CFO team. And the, the, how we tell people, uh, at least non-accountants, what we do, the compliant, the tax team just does compliance. The bookkeeping team does anything ta- tactical, pay a bill, process an invoice. The controller team does anything complex. You know, they're trying to analyze today for you. And the CFO team looks towards the future. So they're t- trying to help you plan. And then um, how we structure everything. Uh, right now, everybody on the service in the service lines teams, 
They're distributed across the United States, um, primarily uh, work from home folks uh, across the United States. Um, we um, have one service line person now in Greece, I believe. Um, and then um, in the ops team, uh, we have one guy that is a US citizen that travels the world that was in 26 countries one year. Uh, so we never really know where he is. We have um, two people in the Philippines uh, that are administrative assistants that, that support us, that um, um, we kind of was our first venture into international group. And then in our sales and marketing team, uh, most of, um, about half of the team is US-based and half the team is in um, the Philippines uh, with TOA. Uh, so that's how we started out. And then um, we have lots of plans to expand in the service lines and uh, back office for just our company globally. So Excellent. So with business, has it always been a remote workforce or were you in a traditional office style environment initially and then it's morphed into being more of a remote work? We've always had an office, uh, but uh, we've always done most of our work. Uh, the progression for us was um, more um, on-site work. So very client-based, uh, very centric. We were based in Atlanta, Georgia originally, and uh, we were very much, uh, the CFO practice was seen as a be here, hold our hands, like walk us through stuff, and the controllers did the same thing. And over time, we saw that changing. And um, so we never had a environment, um, good, bad, or different of, We've always had an office, but we've never had anybody in our office. It's kind of odd. And then uh, every year in the last seven years since I've been here, we've had a smaller office, which is opposite because we've gone from eight people to 85 people. And every year we, our office got smaller. It was kind of odd. Excellent. So do you have a niche type of client that you deal with or are you a generalist where you deal with, with any type of client? Um, we're, we're, we, we have kind of three identified niches that we work with in particular. Um, but uh, the core niche that uh, we've always been known for is working with SaaS technology companies that are US-based. Uh, so we really go after companies that have, you know, software products that they sell at uh, $99 a month or $599 a month. Um, so lots of, not no really inventory-based clients, nothing like that, uh, but that's the primary one. Uh, a couple of other verticals, because uh, we do do other work, have kind of emerged. Um, but until we have, you know, 50 clients in a vertical, we don't really identify it as a, a niche or go after it on the sales side, really. Okay, excellent. So the story of setting up your offshore team, what were the motivations behind doing this first? The obviously other priorities that running a growing business has. Um, well, it wasn't much of a reach for us to have offshore people. And I guess in I think it was 2018, uh, we have a team member named David, who is the one that lived in 25 countries in one year. Um, and uh, that was the initial kind of challenge to the notion that we couldn't have people in like different time zones is what we were more concerned about than more other countries. Um, and uh, he's a critical team member for us. He leads our onboarding efforts um, for our complicated onboarding. He does our quality control. Um, so it's not like we had just kind of like a random person kind of in all these time zones. We had a really critical person uh, so that was kind of the first time when we really started considering it as an option for us. 
So when you did decide to to go about it, how did you go about finding us? How did you go about obviously researching, um, you know, the recruitment process, the onboarding process that you you've went through with us? Um, tell our listeners a little bit about, I suppose, that setup process. Sure. Um, well, Kenji and I are both in Entrepreneurs Organization, um, which is a global organization where you um, are in small groups with other CEOs. And um, actually, one of the CEOs in Kenji's um, small group uh, owns a company that uh, offshores resources in the Philippines. So our, our introduction to the Philippines in particular was uh, a uh, two-hour session with him leading our senior team uh, through all the possibilities. Um, and it was primarily focused around uh, administrative assistance support. We didn't really have any, we've never really had a culture where we had administrative assistance. So all we have, you know, our head of bookkeeping, uh, our COO, Kenji and myself, uh, we had never um, had things taken off our plates. So we started down that path and he helped us really, uh, the guy that came in helped us really see uh, what kind of tasks were really efficient to uh, uh, outsource. Uh, to the Philippines, and he helped us go through the process of identifying uh, how to hire them, how to hire folks in the Philippines directly. And we went through that process and identified two people, and um, we have direct relationships with those folks still today. And then, um, as we expanded out and, and considered going into client-serving roles, um, we we thought uh, we looked at the you know opening our own firm. In the Philippines and, and and all the infrastructure that was involved with that, and we considered that, but ultimately we then kind of looked at the the folks in the space. Um, you and I had a conversation, I believe it was at a ZeroCon, um, in um, I can't remember which ZeroCon. Um, which San Diego. Last oh, year. that was the San Diego one last year, um, and uh, you you had um, been connected to Kenji and and I somehow. Um, um, so you'd been connected to Kenji and me. And um, then after that conversation um, and some conversations with other firms, uh, we felt like you're the best group to partner with from a, a lot of the things we hadn't thought about when we thought about talking about client data. Um, then our first step uh, with working with you guys was actually uh, we put, we ended up having a higher need in the sales team. Uh, so we put um, some sales resources there um, and I guess that's about six months ago. Um, so the first group we have there and still the people that we have there right now are our sales team. Um, and then right now we're in the process of adding an accountant, a bookkeeper, and uh, somebody that might help us in onboarding and quality control. Uh, also uh, out of TOA, um, we like the facility, like we like having some density of people there. Um, I think that'll give us seven people um, in, in the office there. And uh, we like that that kind of size group. I think we think that'll help them. You know, they'll have some little bit of acuity influence on the TOA culture than that office. So, well, definitely will. It's interesting. I was a member of VO up until a few months ago for six years, um, and I think we first met Kenji via Heather Smith at um, accounting salon last year. Oh yeah, That's how we originally got on to to Kenji, and then I met obviously you at. Um, at ZeroCon, but for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to allow them to move um, faster than, you know, we have some firms that really struggle with the process of getting their mind around it, but what would be 
three of the most critical things that you would spend your time on if you were setting up this global team again? The, the first thing we did was identify routine tasks um, that were creating um, kind of stress or strain on our team members. We, we just thought, you know, if we're going to outsource something, um, you know, we start with, you know, retaining our own people longer. Uh, so let's take some of the routine stuff off their plate and then let's just pay a little better than average in the Philippines. So those folks uh, have good quality of life too uh, in a different way. Uh, so that was the first thing. Um, I don't know if I've got three. The second one though is um, we just like to screw stuff up. So we just wanted to start. So we just wanted to team members. Uh, we wanted to challenge the way we work. We wanted to get stuff off our, you know, especially our senior team's plate that was bogging people down and just start moving forward. <laughs> so just take the first step was the, the big number two and probably the big takeaway for me. And I definitely agree with that one. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your new global team provides, what would it be? It, it really just expands the possibilities of what you can do. It challenges your notion of value, of what things are worth and what things cost and what you can charge for things. Um, and it also challenges your value for your own time. Um, I know in particular, uh, the biggest advantage I have was one of the people that on our team now is helping me in an administrative role just with my calendar email, um, just getting me some Salesforce maintenance on the sales side and um, that getting that time back and really having a structure where I'm not two weeks behind on the emails or stuff like that is, is just been invaluable. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with that, particularly around the admin support for for directors, I had a client um, a couple of months ago that, you know, they showed me their emails and they were a couple of hundred emails um, deep and there was four or five referrals, client referrals in there um, they'd gotten. They were over a week old and hadn't even had time to respond to them. And I said to him, hey, what sort of experience is that for a new customer coming to you where you don't even have time to call them after a week? Um, and he put, he put on an EA and suddenly, you know, things are getting responded to within, you know, minutes of when it's coming in it makes such a significant difference but um i'll move on to the next question which is one that i think a lot of people um in our industry struggle with is really mapping a people strategy so is it does with your strategic planning do you sit down and map your people strategy for the next 12 months or 24 months um, and if you do where do you see the offshore team ratio longer term being with people locally versus um, in your global team over in the Philippines? Um, it depends. Uh, so the part of the challenge with mapping um, is a lot of the initial things we want to outsource are also routine tasks that companies are at the same time trying to automate with technology. Um, but uh, we've been fortunate that we've grown so much year over year, we've been able to redeploy people. Um, so um, I think on our um, CFO and controller teams, I don't, I don't see any um, additions from folks in the Philippines in our uh, tax team. I think we, we probably have a net one addition. We have a two-person tax team, so it's really uh, 
Um, it's the newest practice that we have. I think we'll probably have a, a third person would probably be a, uh, in out of TOA in the Philippines. Uh, our bookkeeping team is a really interesting team. It's about a 25 person team right now. I think if we fast forwarded oh, 24 months, uh, we would have um, you know 20 to 25 folks in the US and five to 10 folks in the Philippines um, with, with some growth and some leverage. Um, I'd see, I feel like um, our bookkeepers in the US today will look a lot like uh, customer service reps in software companies. We do a lot of analogies to software companies. They'll still have to do kind of the high level bookkeeping reporting, but I think they'll be supported by folks in the Philippines initially. Uh, I think 24 months out to three, three years out, I think the folks in the Philippines that are strong will um, fill those lead roles as well. And we'll start seeing that, that progression. Uh, I see a lot of support uh, for our customer service and onboarding team and quality control. Um, I see a lot of potential for that to be in the Philippines. I think there will probably be in the ops team, you know, 75% U.S., 25% Philippines in two years. And then on the sales team, I see it as 75% in the Philippines, 25% in the U.S. Um, in two years, um, just based on the nature of the work. How I, I guess the roles I probably see my biggest takeaway after working with folks in the Philippines uh, for the last you know year is um, kind of a no-brainer duh comment, but like th like the folks in the Philippines are humans and the folks in the U.S. are humans. Like so, they have equal capacities for achievement. So pigeonhole them to a, a, a certain role um, is fine initially, but after that, the potential is the same. Um, after that, to like all the roles in our company. Um, so uh, that's just been my initial takeaway. One of our people in particular, uh, we think uh, will be a very key ops team member for a very, very long time, um, just after 12 months. So Yeah, excellent. It's, it's funny you say that. I get one of the most um, common comments that I get from new clients is I just didn't expect them to be this good and didn't expect them to be just like my team here. Yeah, I don't because know what to answer sometimes. It's, well, I mean, because we're distributed, there's really no difference to us. Yeah. To I mean, we're on a Zoom call regardless. So if you're working the hours that we're working, then I, I couldn't tell if you're in California. It's harder for me actually to get the folks in California on a Zoom call than it is uh, in in Colorado than it is for the folks in the Philippines because uh, you know I do a lot of my stuff early in the, earlier in the morning and I'm East Coast. So what would be your three um, top tips for managing an offshore team or a global team, I mean, or a remote team? I mean, you obviously your business is remote. What would be the three biggest tips you could give anyone that hasn't managed a remote team before? Yeah, I mean, it, like you like you said in your question, you kind of, uh, the remote team is the big thing. Um, it, there's no real difference in us managing folks in the US and in the Philippines or Greece uh, with uh, our team member in Greece. Um, the biggest uh, piece of advice is uh, work on uh, al alignment uh, as much as possible with execution and compensation. Um, so that's been a big one for us. Uh, so aligning goals and 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 compensation um, with uh, productivity and activity um, that you, that you have out there. Um, 
we've, we've had a lot of success um, on that with the um, US-based team. We haven't tried that as much with the Philippine-based team, um, but um, the reality of the economics of the Philippines-based team allows us to take more risks um, because the cost is so much lower. Um, um, the, the other thing is you just, people are people. Uh, so you have to have guidance, you have to have training, you have to check in with people. Um, it doesn't matter where they are. Uh, you have to build community. Um, so we do, you know, we have weekly team meetings for all of our teams, uh, regardless of where you are. So that is a virtual team meeting. Um, a lot of our teams, um, team leads do one-on-ones uh, periodically with, with our remote teams. One-on-ones are much more important. Um, in the first 15 years, I would guess, of somebody's career. Uh, we have a lot of team members that are uh, in the United States in particular that are 15 to, you know, over 10 years experience, you know, average in our team is probably 15 or 20 years of experience. So, you know, you, know, you don't have to check in with that crew uh, as much, but people earlier in their careers or in a new role, you, you need to check in with them more, more frequently. I think that's really helpful. And then, I mean, you're just trying to create culture. Creating remote culture is tough. We 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 launched our all employee event uh, last year. That's the first time we brought all of our employees together. We had somebody that I had worked with for five years. I'd never met in person. I didn't realize it until until she mentioned something to to that. But we are bringing all of our employees in, um, our, all of our U.S. based employees, I should say now. Uh, and once a year, we're trying to figure out what to do with all of our international employees if uh, we should bring them in all all in two. Um, but we've done that. We did a remote offering for them last year where they could um, be in, you know, the, the conference rooms with us uh, remotely uh, while, while we were there present. But uh, we did that primarily around building culture and making sure we had a good sense of community. So It's a great idea. So how do you measure or KPIs? What KPIs do you use to measure success of your um, offshore team? Um, most of our offshore team right now is uh, based in sales, so it's um, calls, uh, you know, calls per calls per week, emails per week, uh, new leads created, appointments set, closes, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, as we kind of move into the functional roles, uh, we're starting to think through those right now on the service line level, uh, what uh, what we might need to track on a bookkeeper level. It'll likely be kind of how many accounts that they're 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 able to handle. Uh, but uh, we're, we're, we haven't really, I guess we're in the early stages of that, of just thinking through those things. So I might have to listen to your podcast with some of the people that have had more bookkeepers longer so I can hear some of that answer to the question from them. So You'll definitely have to. <laughs> so I know it's early days. I mean, you're within the first year of offshoring, but how has offshoring benefited your clients? I guess it's really helped us really think about um, – the type of tasks we do and making sure they're in the right role, regardless of whether they're onshore or offshore, um, particularly with the executive team. Uh, that's a, that's been a big, uh, big thing. That's a good one. So I know I sort of, you sort of answered this next question I'm going to ask you before, but um, with the admin that's doing uh, so some of the management of your emails and, and that, but how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally and has it given you some more work-life balance? Well, Kenji and I are pretty good about making work-life balance. It's one of our core values at our company. So we think uh, we were pretty good at that before. Um, what it's done for us is is kind of given us more 
ideas and challenge our notion of what's possible uh, with resources around the globe, either from a, running a 24 by 7 support team for our clients or really challenging our notion of what things cost and um, where we can get good quality work for our clients, which is really all they want. Um, that's that's been the thing that's been great and seeing about what's what tomorrow is going to be like is um, and really challenging us is what we really like. That's what we value because we really are pretty good about protecting our time and, and and hanging with our families. So that's a good thing because I just see so many accounts, particularly this time of year and in, in tax season in the US, where you know they're slaves to the the job and you know six days a week, seven days a week. It's it's scary in a lot of cases. No, I protected my weekends pretty fiercely last year. So, you know, that's a good thing. So, has offshoring had an effect on your profit to the to the business, or is it is it too early at this stage to say? Oh, it's for sure too early to say. There there is some setup costs. Um, you you mess up a lot of things out of the gate, just like you do with anything else. So, uh, we look at we 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 just assume it's it's going to be negative. Um, you know, for the first kind of year. Um, I don't know that that's uh, the the typical experience. We just do that not with offshoring, but with just any experiment we run at Acuity because we kind of go like we're going with like we'll have 10 people offshore before the end of the year. So that's we're going to mess something up, you know, just when you add 10 people. Um, so um, but I think long term, when we look back on it, uh, I think it'll show us how to be really competitive um, in um, bookkeeping and tax long term. Um, and it'll really challenge us on the onboarding side and customer success side um, in, a, in a lot of ways. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's one one area that a lot of accounting businesses lose focus of is that customer success. And, you know, we're here to serve our customers and how can we deliver a better service? And I think a lot of the time we, we lose that um, because we just get busy doing what we do and we forget about the customer experience as part of that. So. Um, I mean, that's one thing that I know about, about Acuity is that you stand out because of, you know, that one element alone, let alone the other things that you do that are very different. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about, um, this is non-related to offshoring, but what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business point of view? Uh, screw things up more often. That's what that's I would tell Love it. Fail fast and pivot. Um, one bit of advice that you'd give your younger self from a personal point of view? Yes, you should marry that girl. <laughs> if you have any cool. doubts, I've been married to the same person for, for oh gosh, how many years now? <laughs> now you're 20, 20, 22 years. So uh, awesome. yes, you should marry her. Awesome. What is the biggest myth or objection that you've heard about having an offshore, tra- uh, offshore team and is it true? Um, I guess, uh, I don't know if I heard any myths, but um, the the ultimate kind of aha moment is when you start talking to everybody in your offshore team about their families and their kids. And, um, you know, um, I've been just struck by how not different it is from hiring somebody in the United States. Um, and I don't know if that was a myth, but it was just a man, this is like, we're just talking about people who live in different places um, than us. Um, so I can't wait to go actually to the Philippines and visit the team and meet everybody face to face. It's going to be pretty exciting. So 
It's a phenomenal place. You'll love it. You'll definitely love it. So for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've um, been told or heard that you've implemented that you could pass on to our listeners? Sell a lot. Uh, (laughs) Focus a lot on, um, you know, I I was really good about um, focusing on a niche. And then once I had a little bit of a reputation it allowed me to say yes to everybody because they were in the niche that I wanted to be in and I could really help them. And then do doing some of the tasks I had, I just always just hired as fast as I could to fill the backfill of the work that we had. Uh, a lot of people I talked to um, seem to not want to hire people and and take on the extra risk of, of of having another mouth to feed or another employee and um kenji and i never had that problem i think we we just i mean we went from eight to 85 in six or seven years and um we had to hire just incredibly fast um just and um having that pipeline you you just got better at it after time once we were at like 25 folks then we always had a pipeline of people and we kind of had figured it out in the early days. We were just scrambling. Uh, we were using, you know, friends, contractors, whoever we could to, to like do the work, but uh, really getting that velocity going and taking that step uh, was, was, was a big thing for us. Yeah. I love that advice. So Matt, really appreciate you being on today's podcast. There's so many um, elements of what you said that I resonate with and I know our listeners will but for any of our listeners that want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out and and um, get in touch? Sure, um, I'm I'm on social media, man. So I'm the Tech CPA on Twitter. Uh, I think that's how you find me on LinkedIn too. I think the Tech CPA. If you search for the Tech CPA or Matthew May on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on both of those. Um, but uh, that's the that's the best way to get me. So you can go to Acuity.co too and uh, reach out to us. I think we have an info at acuity.co that'll point you to the right folks over here uh, that you want to talk to. We have team leads over all those practices and people that run our ops and sales team. It's a great team now. Awesome. We'll put all those details in the show notes for our listeners so they can click on it and go through. So appreciate your time today, Matt. Really um, thank you for all the nuggets that you shared today. No problem. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. And have a great day.